Welcome to the What She Said podcast. My name is Candace Sampson. I am currently in the middle of divorce proceedings, working towards my psychology degree, dating for the first time in 20 years, raising three teenage girls, a senior dog, and two guinea pigs. And in the middle of all this, I thought it would be a good time to buy the What She Said media property. What could possibly go wrong? I've been in the trenches with women across Canada for over a decade now, oversharing on the Yummy Mummy Club, Life in Pleasantville, and on all my social media pages, and I totally do it for the gram. And now I'm coming to you on the radio at 105.9 The Region and on this podcast. Apparently, I have a lot to say. So let's get rolling. I'm so excited to introduce you to my first guests on the What She Said podcast, Amanda Jete Knox and Zoe Knox, who are showing the world what unconditional love truly looks like. Joining us today on the What She Said podcast is Amanda Jete Knox and her wife, Zoe. Uh, Amanda is an award-winning journalist who has written a book called Love Lives Here. And I also know her from Facebook. (laughs) Yeah, I'm on Facebook a lot. (laughs) But that's actually kind of how we met, is sort of in that digital space through Facebook and on social media. And then I had you over some some crazy Easter thing at Christmas. Yeah, that was weird. I'm I'm not going to lie. That was the weirdest party I've ever been to. the thing though when you work in media right you're working like so far ahead I was actually throwing a party for Easter at Christmas and Amanda joined Uh, so we are here talking about your book, uh, your advocate, your the advocacy work you do for for trans people around the world, uh, and especially in Canada here. And uh, I'm excited to have you join us today. It's gonna be yeah. a good conversation. Thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah thanks. It's great to be here. So um, let's just talk a little bit about your story, um, so people know. So the story is your daughter Alexis came out in 2014. Yeah, she came out to us. Um, we had known her for 11 years as our middle son, mm-hmm. not realizing that the reason she was so unhappy and, uh, you know, increasingly isolating herself and uh, dealing with depression and anxiety was because she was actually a girl. So when she was able to find those those words, she wrote us a very eloquent, uh, heartfelt, I'm sure terrifying email to tell us that she was in fact our daughter. Um, How did she find those words? Well, it started because um, I was shopping last minute with her and her younger brother Jackson for pink shirt day. And we were having a hard time finding pink shirts in the boys section. Um, I use that term very loosely now. And Jackson was, you know, he was seven at the time and he was getting really mad. And he was like, I don't understand. Why can't we find anything pink? It's just a color. Mom, I like pink. I don't get it. And I was like, yeah, you know, buddy, that is so true. Um, It is just a color. And I don't know why we make a big deal out of that. People should be able to be who they are, wear what they want. If you like pink, if you like having your nails done, which he did, you know, at the time, um, you should just be able to do whatever you want. And I really felt like an amazing mom to him that night. Like I I went home thinking, good job. I remember thinking on the way home in the car, like that was a good talk that you had with Jackson. And I didn't realize that that was what Alexis needed to hear that night. So a few hours later, she sent an email and um, and Zoe came in holding her phone and said, you really need to read this. And and that was sort of her catalyst. I think everybody sort of has a catalyst when they're about to say something really scary. So I right. guess that was her. She felt safe enough after that conversation to finally come out. 
That's amazing. And so, Zoe, this was a big moment for you, though, even bigger. Uh, it was. It was a huge moment, honestly, because when I read that email, um, you know, it brought back a lot of my own feelings because I'd known for a long time before that that I was in the same boat as her, right, hiding in the closet. And um, when I first saw that email, it was really terrifying because, you know, the world has not always been particularly supportive to trans people. And, you know, I was really worried about what that might bring for her. So, um, but also for myself, it was kind of the start of a path that about 18 months later led to my own coming out to my family. And here we are. So I remember reading about that moment. Um, I think you wrote it in a blog post initially uh, about being outside of a coffee shop. Yeah, we, we started in a coffee shop in Stittsville, Ontario, just outside of Ottawa. And uh, we were talking and I, you know, I was I was just trying to figure out why my spouse of 18 years was just so unhappy. I mean, no matter uh, what was going on in our lives, we always seem to cycle back to this level of unhappiness and discontent. And so I decided I was going to be, you know, nice Amanda, you know, supportive Amanda <laughs> and not, I don't understand why, why aren't you happy? Frustrated Amanda, which is where I would often go. Let's fix it, Amanda. Oh, yes. Let's fix it, Amanda. Oh, I, I have the same affliction. But okay. <laughs> <laughs> so let's fix it, Amanda. I just took a bit of a backseat and and sensitive Amanda came out and I was, you know, and, and so I just very gently, I think, um, pushed a couple of bricks out of that wall um, by asking certain questions. So we were in the car on the way home and I, I started to get to the really deep questions and I asked things like, are you not happy with me? Is it our marriage? And the answer was no. And, you know, is it the kids? Are you just, you know, is it the whole life? We, we had kids fairly young, so I thought maybe it was that, but that wasn't it. Um, and I just finally got to asking you know, because I was out of questions to ask. And I said, you know, are you a woman? And the answer was, um, well, complete silence, really. And then I just said, I can't talk about that. So wow. yes, the answer was yes. <laughs> but yeah, it, it was it was very much like this, you know, um, uh, you know, just this, I think it, it hit us both really hard that that she had actually, um found the words and that my question I didn't expect a yes answer to was actually a yes, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I wish I had handled it better. I did not handle it well at first, and which is, you know, I think one of those things I'll carry with me forever. I, I really thought that as a parent of a trans child, I would be more immediately supportive if my partner were to come out. Right. But I I wasn't. I, I mean I was I was supportive in the sense that, you know, I had done a lot of the trans one oh one. I understood all that, right? Um so I knew that her coming out to me was not um, you know, her, you know, hiding this, you know, and, and like pulling the rug out from under my feet. And it wasn't about me. It wasn't about me. It was about survival. But and, it feels you know? very much about you in that moment because you're part of a unit, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but it was really just a matter of of, of making room for each other and right. and our feelings and um, you know. And I, I knew, I think, right from the start, I told I told you that I was going to be um, supportive, right? Like I was, I was going, you know, that I had your back no matter what. But we didn't know where this left us initially. Right. Yeah, you were actually very supportive. And and looking back on it, the reaction was hilarious, and I would not change it. <laughs> 
Well, I think there was like a, are you fucking kidding me in there or something? Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was like, and, and I was like, oh, you have got to be fucking kidding me. That was that was my answer. You know, me, the supportive person. Um, yeah, sensitive Amanda yeah. took a back seat at that moment. Sensitive yeah. Amanda. But she has, she has always been really supportive. <laughs> right. Despite that. And, you know, like you said, it was kind of a question of us giving each other a lot of space and, right. and working in what I like to call parallel paths, right? We just okay. kind of let each other do our little process of discovery and eventually we kind of came back and, you know, we would touch base and we would eventually converged, you know, back together, but we weren't sure if that was going to happen. So how did you tell the kids this? Well, we didn't at first. Um, we told them what was it probably like a month after. Um, and we had to tell them because by that point they were just getting they they knew something was up they there just was didn't know what it was a, yeah big tension in the house there was a lot oh, of tension oh yeah big time big yeah. time and they thought maybe somebody had cancer or was dying or that we were yeah. going to get divorced okay. or yeah. something right so we had to sit them down and and tell them so that's literally what we did we just sat them all down on the couch and i told them and i said you know like alexis um, right i'm actually your mom and there was some shock. Mm -hmm. um, there were a few tears. Mm -hmm. um, I think it hit our oldest son the hardest right. because he had always kind of looked up to me as how to be a man. And I said, right. well, that doesn't change. Right. Right. All those lessons that you've learned about how to be a good person and stuff, it's still valid. It doesn't right. matter where you learned them. Um, and, and that's the, so true, right? It, yeah. It's really just around the labels we put on things. It's got nothing to, it, you know, it's, it's really the, the actions that speak louder than anything. It's not the label that's attached to it. Exactly. Right? I look at all of the really incredible men who are raised by single mothers, for example, exactly. right? I mean, they learn yeah. to be their incredible selves through their parent. And it doesn't matter what the gender of their parent was. Exactly. So same kind of thing. Yeah. So I think people should know, because again, I think I, I recall reading this and, and maybe I can't remember where where I must have read it that you wrote it that um, uh, trans uh, it r can run in a family right like this this mm -hmm. being trans this can be passed down for not passed down is that the right word am I using that correctly well they don't really know I mean I think that there there can be you know we definitely see instances where um, you know being queer in general you mm -hmm. tend to find more than one queer person in a family right um, I, I, and and whether or not there's anything definitive there, I don't know. But we certainly there's a lot of anecdotal um, there's, there's stories about this evidence that there's there have been a couple studies that seem to show that the you know the likelihood of someone being trans is much higher if you have a sibling or a parent who is. Okay. But there's no definitive link yet. Okay. Okay. Um, so I wanted to talk to you a little bit about um, the hate that you are the target of. Because that's got to be um, that's got to wear you down, and I think that people, in general, not just I mean you're dealing with it I, on a massive level, but I think we all go through stressful periods in our life um, where it seems like there's just a pile of it. What sort of coping tools have you brought into your life to deal with this? Because it is it's immense. Yeah, it can be really hard sometimes, and uh, you know the internet is um, just a a breeding ground for hate. Unfortunately, it's also a breeding ground for change, which is why right. you know I'm really visible there. Um, but it you know, and it can be a breeding ground for good. But yeah, you know, you get a whole bunch of like minded people together, and you know, I've had um, flat out social media attacks put on by alt right groups. Um, 
So more, most Mandy. recently, Candace Owens? Right. Yeah. Um, Candace Owens had had a bit of a spat with um, with um, an actress from The Good Place, and um, and Jamila. yeah, Jamila, Jamil. Yeah, she's fantastic. She's a yeah. really good person, and. Um, she had invited Candace onto her podcast, and then when Candace started making some transphobic remarks about a couple expecting a baby that had made the news, um, she withdrew that invitation. And I commented and said, "Well, yeah, I mean, you're using your giant platform to to publicly <laughs> shame this couple who are just trying to normalize their family and show right. that their family, you know, uh, that has has rights and should have respect." Um, and she then. Uh, quote tweeted what I said and um, and it unleashed the hate just unleashed the comments were horrific she has millions of followers right um, and that's not the first time it has happened many times so it was you know people are like oh I'm so sorry this is happening and I'm like well it's actually kind of predictable and I sort of know that you know um, when you when you respond to somebody like that you are very likely to be targeted um, it's a shame but the way I handle it is uh, I just take Take a social media break. I have all my notifications turned off on right. social media. That's very recent, and it has been uh, amazing because I get to decide when I want to engage. My my phone doesn't decide for me, right? Mm-hmm. So that has been wonderful. Um, and just I, I I think you know I'm really lucky that I have a really good relationship with my wife. I have really good friends. I have really wonderful kids. And when I'm having a bad day, they get it. Um, and I just have a lot of support in my life. So it's just a matter of, of tapping into that support. I can call someone and say, I'm not having a good day. Um, and sometimes it's just, you know, going to the gym and lifting something really heavy. Right. That helps. And sometimes it is crawling into bed and ordering pizza and binge watching something on Netflix, which I have also done. So. <laughs> Um, but it's also just knowing that um, making people upset who don't want the world to change, you know, it's it's inevitable when you are creating change. So, no, I mean, name calling, threatening, all of that stuff is not OK. But um, but it does kind of show, unfortunately, in this very polarized climate mm-hmm. that change is happening. Right. Um, so I read a stat that said, just one supportive adult cuts the chance of LGBTQ youth um, attempting suicide by 40%. Um, Tell me specifically about some of the statistics surrounding trans youth, because I know you've shared some of these. Okay, yeah. Um, So TransPulse, which is a Canadian sort of trans-centered research organization, did a study on uh, trans youth specifically, and they found that when you're when you don't have support from your parents, when you don't have support from your from from the people in your life, or even if they're only just kind of mildly supportive, um, your um, risk of self-harm and suicide goes up about eightfold. Mm-hmm. Um, however, when you have that supportive environment, if your parents or, or caregivers are seen as very supportive, and that would mean an affirming approach, that would mean that they they use the right name and the right pronouns, and and you know if 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 you're saying. I am a girl, then they would, you know, say, this is my daughter and get you, say, the medical support that you might need if, if that's something that you need, et cetera. Um, that would then um, 
reduce someone's rate of self-harm and suicide to roughly the average for their age group. It is a huge difference. That is great. Yeah, that is a massive difference. Massive difference. Um, so that's, that is one of the leading stats. We also know that there's, there are some studies that have come out on things like using somebody's, um, using somebody's name, a trans person's name is very affirming and can help in situations. Um, so let's talk about know. that a little bit because I, I know that I've heard this, this dead naming. Is this correct? That's right. Okay, so what what is that? So dead naming is what some people call using their name before transition. Okay. And so there have the, been those in the media, I remember this as well, that um, wanted that story, felt that that was somehow important to bring into your story. Yeah, so we've been asked a few times during interviews, like, what was my old name? You know, could we have any old pictures? Things right, like that. And that's right. not something that I'm personally comfortable sharing. Um, right. Some trans people are very open about that sort of thing. And it's a, okay. it's a very individual decision. Um, but in general, it's kind of seen as bad form to ask somebody, you know, who were you before this? Right. right. Because really who we were before this is I'm still me. I was always this person. You just couldn't see it. Right. right. And so I think some of that is, you know, um, is, is education. You know, like you said, it's considered bad form to, to ask. Mm -hmm. um, I think sometimes people may not know. So how do we educate ourselves? Really? Like what's the best way to normalize um, trans people? Get talk. to know some. Yeah, talk yeah, to trans yeah, people. Know, right? And I mean, if you don't know any trans people in your life, if you're not close to anybody who's trans, go online and read read blogs by trans people. Follow them on Twitter. Follow them on Instagram. Right. Watch their videos. Watch their documentaries. I mean, you can learn so much. That's how I learned. Right. Um, I, I have the advantage of having two trans people in my family. So, I mean, that, yeah, that is a little bit of a too. unique perspective. Right, right. But I mean, I learned sort of, you know, that's... But, but, you know, um, you know, the trans community, like any community, isn't a monolith. So there are a whole bunch of varying opinions wow. and comfort levels yeah. and, you know, and that sort of thing. And so, like, uh, and for example, like, I, you know, we don't have any non-binary people in our family. So getting to know some non-binary people has been really cool, too. And, and understanding that gender is a spectrum. And so these, it is a learning curve. And I think, you know, um, Intent matters a lot, right? Mm -hmm. So if somebody's intent is good, if they're not trying to be malicious, right? Um, you know, I, I can't speak for trans people, but as you know, as a lesbian, as a queer woman, I you know, I definitely think that um, that that intent when I talk to somebody matters more than if they oops kind of slip up a little bit, right? Right, right. Um, and so you you said a little bit about you know, we were talking about this. I I, I wanted to talk about J.K. Rowling, because when that popped up, I was, I was like, I what, what what do I do? I love Harry Potter. I don't even. And, but there was a big controversy with her, and it's interesting because I'm learning words and terms that I didn't know existed. So she is classified as a turf. Right, which stands for trans exclusionary radical feminist. So it's basically somebody who who calls himself a feminist, but that means that they also don't consider, say, trans women to be women. So they're they believe in sort of what they would call sex based rights, um, and that's what they will fight for at at the at a great expense to the trans community. So um, it's so a shame. She came out because she was supporting a 
a researcher in England. Uh, was it Maya? I yeah, her name was, I think, Maya Forstadter. Mm -hmm. And uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. But she uh, she worked for, I believe, a research firm. She was raising, she was, she was a fundraiser. Okay. Um, and her contract was not renewed because she was repeatedly asked by her company um, not to tweet these really harmful things about trans people. She was very, very clear in her views, right. and it was making her her uh, co-workers very uncomfortable. And so when her contract came up for renewal, they chose not to renew it, and she took them to court. And she felt that she was going on the idea that her belief as what she would call a gender-critical feminist or a gender-critical person um, is uh, is is a philosophical belief. So she was trying to win on that ground, and she absolutely did not. Mm -hmm. um, the The judge was very clearly opposed to that. Said, you know, like your your views are extremely harmful, and um, and no, you don't win <laughs> this settlement. So um, so I guess uh, you know J.K. Rowling um, stood up for her and used a hashtag too, right? So something like justice for for Maya. So when right. I saw that. Uh, I was really upset because, again, like you, we have all the Harry Potter yeah. books. We've seen all the Harry Potter movies. Um, we've always been a supporter. But she has there been some rumblings about that, that right. she's felt this way for a while. She's done a couple of other things along these lines. This certainly isn't like a first-time thing. Okay. I think using the hashtag really showed that she understands the complexities. That's my understanding of, of, of the issue. And so I tweeted at her and I said, look, you know, as somebody with a trans child, um, it, it makes me really sad that that you would think that um, somebody actively discriminating against her in the workplace is acceptable. I, I'm paraphrasing, but that's right. essentially what I said. She never replied to me, but that tweet got... I don't even know how much attention. I have 50,000 or more wow. likes. It was huge. Um, and uh, it really stirred the pot. And and that's the last thing I wanted to do, right? And I mean, as, 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 a, as a new author, you know, you don't want to be going up against the greats, right? right? That's not something that was comfortable or fun. Right. But I, you know... My daughter, who was a fan, I think I felt like she needed to see me say something. And I think that it, it comes back to that, um, you know, when I look at you and, and Zoe, I think it's ultimately about creating a safe space for your family um, in this world. And yeah, so it really somebody, is. If you look at somebody like Julie Berman, and, which is incredibly heartbreaking, that story. Yeah. You know? yeah. So, so how did that affect you. Julie Berman was a trans woman and activist in Toronto who um, around Christmas time was murdered. And it's awful because this is something that happens, um, you know, statistically far more violence against against trans women is huge and trans people, but especially trans women uh, for a variety of reasons and trans women of color even more um, mm -hmm. at a disproportionately high scale, uh, particularly in the U.S. But um, it, it really rocked the local community mm -hmm. um, and it sort of sent ripples across the community, across the world. I think it was it was. Um, it was sad to see somebody who stands up so so prominently uh, become a victim of what she was fighting against, right? Um, so I, I think that for me personally, it made the need to tell happy stories, normalizing families in transition, people in transition, even more important. Um, 
we need to talk about all these horrible things that still happen because they absolutely do still happen. But we also need to tell people that there is hope out there. We need to right. give some hope. And I think that the, the normalizing is really, really important. So, you know, um, we were talking earlier before we got on the podcast about, you know, raising teenagers and our love of dog rates and, you know, uh, what we're doing on the weekend and all these fun things. And, you know, that is absolutely just normalizing this conversation. There's nothing abnormal about it. Uh, you know, I have trans people in my Twitter feed now based on your recommendation to go follow a lot. You know, I watch their stuff go by. Um, and so... But we need to be doing more of that. And how do we how do we do that? Like, how do I do more? How do how do other people help? Well, definitely following trans people and like subscribing to publications and and buying their art and you know watching documentaries and stuff like that is is a big part of it, right? I think supporting the trans community directly is is kind of a huge part because not only do you do you learn something, but you're also supporting the people who are trying to make a living, right. you know, doing this. Um, so that I, that's definitely the right direction. Um, I don't know. Get to know people, I guess. Um, well, I'm not sure, honestly. Well, I think that that's. I think you're right in that sense, and I think I think also um, to touch on what you were saying, the the fact is that the trans community statistically um, is one of the lowest, um, you know, income earners, mm -hmm. right? So the average trans person, I think, I think I read, and I'm, I, I hope I don't botch it, but something like 50% of trans people in Ontario make less than $25,000 a year, right? It's, it's that sort of thing. So yeah. it's, it's huge. And, and a lot of this is discrimination based. So when you go out and you support trans organizations, you support trans people, a lot of trans people have Patreons to support their artwork or podcasts or whatever. Mm -hmm. That's huge. And then that helps them boost, you know, lift up their voices. You can even just retweeting if you're on Twitter right. and you have a larger platform. I try to do this a lot. I try to yeah, retweet. Amplification yeah. is super important because a lot of trans people are so marginalized that, right. you know, they don't, they can't get a big platform on, on social media. But if you can help to, right. you know, to amplify and promote those voices, that really helps. And I also think that um, having conversations with the people around you um, to help educate is really important too. So um, it's things like, you know, if there's a trans person around and people know that, they're not going to say certain things, but sometimes they'll let those opinions go, you know, at a work gathering when right. no one's, when they think no one who's going to take offense is listening or like around the table at Thanksgiving or something like that. And that is a really good time to just kind of go, hey, so, you know, just, you know, that's not actually accurate. It's right. more like this, right? Like it's, it can be very gentle. It can be, but, but, if we do it as cisgender people, that means trans people have less work to do and they already have a lot to do just right, to survive a lot of times. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So we talked a little bit about, um, you know, um, you know, the arts. So is there anything that you recommend that people should be looking for, watching, reading? Aside from Amanda's book, obviously. <laughs> obviously that. I love you know, obviously here, that. Yes. Buy the book. Um. <laughs> I, I really think that there's a, there's some really good um, uh, uh, trans authors out there. So like um, uh, now known as as Luna Fer Ferguson, um, but the book is published under a different name. Me myself, um, 
they is that what it's called? I Maybe think myself yeah. and they. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So that came out earlier last year, a few months before my book, and that's sort of a series of essays about being in a non-binary, um, you know, it, you know, existence, life, what that looks like, how it looked growing up, that sort of thing. So that that could be really neat. And um, Ivan Coyote, amazing mm-hmm. storyteller, they're fantastic, um, and. There, we were just talking about this in the car, like um, the the uh, shows and movies where they cast trans people in cisgender roles. Yeah, there's there are some shows out there that are definitely getting it right, but unfortunately, they're kind of few and far between. Right. So, you know, we've seen a few recently movies, TV shows and things where they have trans actors who are playing not trans roles or if they are playing a trans role it's not the focus of the whole role it's just you know they're it might be an aspect of their character but it's not the reason that they're included in it and so i think that is a huge part of the whole normalization thing and they're getting it right yeah right we've you know it used to be like if someone was a gay character that was the whole reason they were in the show right because they were gay and that was the story that they were trying to tell right and then eventually we got away from that because it's been so normalized now that people don't really see that as a big draw but we need to get there with with transgender people the same way right Right. so if you're in the production it's not because you're trans that's not the focus of the story right yeah, and I think a lot of times, too, we're still seeing um, cisgender people cast in transgender roles. Mm-hmm. And there are so many great trans actors out there who can do this phenomenal job. And so, uh, you know, I, I always think movies and shows like that are, are better. If you want to focus a story on somebody being trans, if you can find a good trans actor to do that and then support that as, as, a, as a viewer, um, you're giving more roles to trans people. And again, we're talking about a very, very marginalized, misunderstood community. And right. that's why that's important. It's not that actors can't play any role. Of course, of course they can, right? right? But when you're, you know, really struggling as a community, any chance you can to lift up that community is a wonderful thing. Right. Um, so I just wanted to talk about something because I think it's interesting. You recently adopted <laughs> yes, yes. Yes. Actually, we're 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 uh, next week is when we finalize that. Hopefully, so. Right. Um, Alexis had a best friend in middle school, and uh, she had been in and out of care most of her life, and um, she was going to be. There's a new there's a new term for it now, but she was going to become essentially a crown ward, where it it meant that she would just sort of. Um, age out of the care system by going into group homes and what have you until she reached adulthood. And um, our eldest, Eric, was moving out. And so we were going to have a spare room, which was going to be my office. I had, <laughs> I had been visualizing this for two years. I was like, oh, and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. Four days after Eric moved out, Ashley moved in. <laughs> so she's been with us now for almost two years. Almost two years, yeah. Yeah, and we're uh, so now we have um, two seventeen-year-old girls at home. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel yeah. Your pain. Yeah. Uh, so I because the reason I bring this up is because I think that people want to say, oh, you know, you're so different, and but no, you're not because you have to go through an intense process to adopt a child. Yes, there's a lot of home studies. There's a lot of background checks. There's mandatory right. training. There's a whole lot of hoops that you have to jump through. 
right? Yeah, they do, uh, you know, big assessments. Um, they dive in deep. And so, but based on that, what, you know, what they're looking for a lot of times when, when they're doing these home assessments is, you know, you're getting a kid be placed with you or coming to be a part of your family that um, has been through a lot, and right. have you been through a lot? It doesn't matter if you've been through a lot. They, that, that can actually be an asset if you've handled it well. So what does it look like? So we are very upfront about things. Like I'm very, I'm, I'm very upfront um, online and everywhere with the fact that I have a mental illness. I have an anxiety disorder. And they know that. And they're like, okay, well, what? how do you manage it? And right. I tell them, right? But the fact that we um, you know, are, are two moms, that we have a child who's trans, that, that was never an issue. It is still an issue in some communities when they go to place children. And that is a shame because there are so many great kids out there that really need homes. And so many, in particular, LGBTQ kids, um, they're in the system at a much higher rate. So getting more LGBTQ families to become foster families and potential adoptive families wonderful. So we talk a lot about that because we think it's important not only as a queer family um, showing that yes, look, we you know, we are actually um, very suitable according to many many home studies and what have you that you know um, to to have a child come live with us but also um, you know we also want to normalize the idea of um, you know taking in teenagers because they you know there's uh, you know Ashley was telling us there's sort of an unspoken rule that once you get to about the age of 10 you're never going to find a home right right and so now she's about maybe Five months from turning 18 and she is going to become a permanent part of our family. Right. She already is. I mean, she is, but on paper and that means something to her, right? Right. (laughs) Yeah. So through this whole thing then, we'll just end it here, but you came out stronger, better, right? Absolutely that. Yeah, Yeah, we did. We did. I think... um, it's not that the foundation crumbled, it's what you build from it, right? right? So yes, our foundation, our rickety foundation that was built on a lot of fear, um, you know, fell apart and we built something much nicer. I actually like to look at it differently. Oh, tell yeah, me. Oh, so. <laughs> I think the foundation was always strong. The foundation was love and oh. that we care about each other. But what we built on that was rickety old shack that didn't stand up very well so we burned that sucker down (laughs) and we built something better okay Okay, i love that i know now i'm crying (laughs) sequel to the book by zoe knox (laughs) burn it down burn it down (laughs) (laughs) thank you so so much for joining me i hope i can have you back again and we'll continue the conversation thanks so much yeah thank you candace thank you